You are listening to a Reverie Studios production. Download the Reverie app for the best in queer-rated entertainment. It's available on iOS, Android, Apple TV, Chromecast, Roku, and Amazon Fire. Welcome to another episode of Black on Black Time. This is your host, Nick Gaines. This is Arna Landrum. Hey, look at you dancing. Okay. <laughs> is this our 2018 dance? Because <laughs> we were, you know, we ended 2017 doing like liberation twerks and body rolls. It's true. It's true. And I don't want to like lock it in as the 2018 dance. No, we're still learning what 2018 dances are. Yeah. You know, because it depends on the mood, the moment, who I'm with, what I'm listening to, you know, those things. <laughs> so anyway, here we are. Um, so our last episode, um, we talked about the bad. We, we we titled the episode, Throw the Whole Year Away. Because, I mean, honestly, listen, 2017, let all acquaintance... What's that song? Da, 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 da. And never brought to my boom, 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 boom. <laughs> like, listen, it's crazy because like we were, we were, we've been tasked with talking about the year, but it's funny because like as you think about, it, I'm just like, I just don't want to do that year ever again. Like, not even from like just like we talked about like policy and and what was going on in the world, but just personally, I don't ever want to do 2017 ever again. I'll listen. <laughs> Telling people, I'm telling like, you don't know what I've been through. <laughs> and I'm so glad I don't look like what I've been through. Listen, listen, one of my friends, one of my dear friends, um, his name is Donald. He sent me a text message. Um, let me pull this text message up because it makes me laugh. He sent me a text message um, about, you know, like Happy New Year. Mm-hmm. Tell me why his text message says, where See, of course, when you need things to happen, they don't come up. Anyway, he sends me a text message. I have to find the text. But anyway, that was my year. Anyway, what's going on with you? How you doing? Um, I'm, uh, well, I don't know if I want to talk about that on the podcast. It's a platonic bay. <laughs> huh? It's a platonic bay. No, not platonic bay. I'm, um, I'm having some really, really good conversations with a friend slash ex-lover and um you know not about getting together but just like oh here's here's the stuff that just went left in our relationship and um do you want to talk about them that sounds healthy it is it's it's going really really well it's kind of like scary well because usually by this point we can't stand each other but i can't stand at home (laughs) (laughs) but now it's just like i'm having some of the most clear direct and like generative communication in my life right now with this person. Mm, generative. Wow. Okay, writer. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I was telling somebody about it. Like we had, we were having a conversation just honestly, just as friends, not processing anything. Um, and she said, a, it's like she said a phrase that is one that kind of triggers a lot of self doubt in me, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I was like, Ooh, Hmm. Can you rephrase that? Mm-hmm. And then she just tried a different set of words. And I was like, all right, there we go. I'm at it. I'm, I'm, I'm back at it. And so we're just really able to negotiate what feels good and what doesn't and like lets us stay in process with each other. And that's dope. Well, gosh, it sounds like your 2018 is off to a good start. Being all grown about stuff. Yes, trying to be all grown and moving forward and, and, and having good energy in our relationships. Yes. Mm-hmm. What about you? Child. So I got this text from my friend Donald that says, <laughs> he said, you know what? This iPhone is acting like a complete, you know what? Oh. Um, he says, happy new year. Then he goes on to leave me this message saying, may every breath you breathe in 2018 be full of authenticity and no fucks while you walk these streets being the best version of you. 
2017 may have been no crystal stare, but bitch, you were snatched while living and looking good while doing it and were the best father to your sons in the midst of all of it. May 2018 bring all the good things you desire and more. Reclaim your time. Get your inheritance, twin. Oh, that's And that is like a word from the Lord. I mean, right? Like, that's actually better than those prophecies that... Listen, <laughs> that actually was better than the prophecies that we at that church that we used to go to that they used to give us annually. Girl, listen, <laughs> <laughs> like that. This this literally was just such a beautiful, um, such a beautiful bit of encouragement to me. Um, I was just saying earlier, like the year was so much in terms of what we saw around us, but also what happened around me personally, and also what happened within me. Um, emotionally, physically, spiritually, um, as much as I learned and grew, I don't ever want to repeat it again. And so hearing these words, as my friend says, 2017 may have not been a crystal scare case, but bitch, you were snatched <laughs> <laughs> while living and looking good. And he always just gives me great encouragement, which I appreciate. So that's what friends are for. So I'm, I'm glad for that. But, um, Anyway, so praise the Lord for that, for that bit of motivation. Um, if anybody's listening to us, we're, we're, we are, well, I was, anyway, I was body rolling. Um, so we need to talk about the good things that happened in 2017, because I think that sometimes we give 2017 a funeral when there were actually some really good manifestations of just like black art, black joy, resistance, um, and black girl magic, and just so much amazingness happening within um, our community. And so... I don't know. Where do we start? Where do we start? There was a lot of good. There was just, oh, man. I I can start with one of my goods. Okay. <laughs> Is, um, the one, in one of the most recent episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Right? Mm-hmm. Like Brooklyn Nine-Nine is this ridiculous show. Andy Samberg is a detective. And Andre Brower is perfection in being the police captain he's super unemotional very dry they call him a robot all the time um and in the show andre Breyer, andre brower is a a gay black man mm-hmm. and you know and that's been something that's hindered his career for a long time but now he's finally being promoted up the ranks and like all of this stuff so anyway in one of the more, most recent episodes another one of the detectives comes out as bisexual well yeah, she uh, she comes out as bisexual. I'm trying to like, should I spoiler alert? <laughs> but uh, Diaz, who's also the other like very unemotional, like unexpressive person in the precinct, comes out as bisexual, and she tells the precinct because they're kind of her friends, and and she tells her family, and her parents don't take it well, and um, and her family has been having a weekly game night that they 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 stopped in, inviting her to. Mm-hmm. She's invited um and so then her buddies from the precinct come over and bring over a bunch of games because they're going to be her family until right like her birth family is ready to accept her in that mm. way yeah it was so Ooh. good and Lord. right there and that part it's just yeah and then there's um just this moment between the two like least emotional people in the whole show um, captain, the captain, Captain Holt, played by Andre Brower, he he tells her, um, like he just thanks her for her for naming her truth, you know. Um, he says to her, every time someone steps up and says who they are, the world becomes a better, more interesting place. So thank mm-hmm. you. And mm-hmm. here I'm watching this show that I usually watch to escape and just laugh and have a good time, weeping. I'm watching the show and crying because. They just have a moment and he says like what you did, but like naming your truth, like you are enriching the world. And, and I'm glad. Ooh, we're doing this already. Why got me over here emotional? <laughs> so that was, yeah, that was toward, that was towards the very end of 2017 that I got to watch that episode. It was amazing. You know that I, first of all, I've never watched that show. Um, I want to watch that episode that you speak of because it just I just enjoy kind of seeing our people like actualize themselves in a way they actualize themselves first and then they they begin to manifest and bring that to the rest of the world. And I think a part of the coming out process is not just 
the coming out to people around you, but the most important form of coming out is coming out to yourself first. And then as you sit with that truth and maybe you might have to wrestle with it or come to accept it or and, and start to love yourself, you start to move and operate in spaces differently, but you also start to become less interested in those in your space who aren't there to see you flourish and grow, you know? And so I think it was really powerful in, you, in hearing you talk about the people that were her family until her family, her, 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 uh, her chosen family until her birth family was ready to accept her. I think that that's really something. Right. I mean, I, it's so critical for so many of us. Like I, I don't know. I, I came out to my family living 1300 miles away. So there was no, you know, the physical distance wasn't, wasn't that much of a, of, you know, of an emotional barrier for me, but it was, um, you know, they struggle with it. They struggle with it in a very don't ask, don't tell way. Like everyone still loves and accepts me and holds me. But mm -hmm. and I have this great chosen family here in Minneapolis that just accepts me in all of the ways and all of my quirks. Um, sometimes, you know, when I'm pouty and whiny and, and needy, there's just like this big, luscious, like hippie queer community that's like, we got you, girl. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the, I, I would hope for the people listening to us that that is the same community that they find around them. And if not, that in 2018, that they make a, a resolution to only allow people in your space that love and accept the fullness of who you are. You know? I want to say amen. <laughs> it just, <laughs> I mean, we churchy. But we church. because, because um, I was talking, who was I having this conversation with? I was having this conversation with a dear friend the other day and we were talking about um, like coming out and things like that. And I was saying how it, he was saying, like, at what point do we have to stop having those conversations with friends and family? Right. And like teaching them or telling them like basic stuff and always just being the teacher. Mm -hmm. And I said, in some ways, I think that those conversations are like annoying. Right. Because just like why? <laughs> you have access to the same resources and materials that I have. Google is free. YouTube is free. The library is free. And you have my lived experience. So like, why is this hard for you? But then I also say a part of, I think the teaching is, of, is because of survival. Like I'm teaching you these things. I'm doing the education for you because a part of me being in this, sharing this intimate space with you is making sure that you don't do things or say things that are offensive and triggering to me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so like a part sense. of us doing the education to people who may not understand who we are, our identities is doing that so that we can survive and coexist in the space and feel loved and supported, or at least feel loved and enough, loved enough to not be terrorized in that space. Mm -hmm. I think, yep, that too. Um, I'm just remembering my own experience around coming out. And I feel like I did a lot of that with my family. Um, and I think, right, just in the ways that we are socialized as black people to kind of take a lot, mm -hmm. you know, just take a lot and, and just deal with it and be strong. I think when I really started speaking up to family members, it was because of other younger people in the family coming out mm -hmm. and right. And just mm -hmm. being the support and having somebody in the family who completely has their, completely has their back mm -hmm. um, is, is sort of more of the, why I lean into the, wait, you can't say that. Hey, let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. because, because, you know, I want someone else to be more supported in what they're going through. Mm -hmm. I remember, um, one of my family members had talked to me um, about his, about where he stood and where he was at. <clears throat> and I knew, I knew that. And to be quite honest, I think the first time that we met, I knew. And I remember, I mean, now I somewhat regret saying this to my cousin, but I remember telling one of my cousins, I was like, hey, I think so-and-so is, is, is this. And they were like, no, 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 they're just different. And I was like, okay. And it was interesting watching people feel so uncomfortable with the idea that this person could be queer. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I think that a lot of folks in my family, for some reason, well, for, I don't know what reasons, but for a lot of reasons, because of the Bible, and because of socialization, because it's the South, really hold on to this idea that so-and-so is different, but they can't really in their heart of hearts be queer. And also realizing that like this person, yes, while dating guys, also still is very much attracted to girls. And so it's just like when it when it when it hit the thing, it's just like, <laughs> oh, so and so is gay. I'm like, actually, he's queer, but you know. And so trying to like get that whole thing is trying to get people to understand that like, first of all, being gay is not the worst thing ever, 
right? It's like the worst thing. But also like, there's so much more breath to it than just the title and seeing this person for more than who they're having sex with, but like who they are and what they bring to the world. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, Speaking of um, 2017, so I haven't, and I talked about this a few episodes ago. I've never watched the entire show. I literally have only watched this one episode, but the show Master of None in such a remarkable way demonstrated what I guess what coming out could look like what it looks Mm. like in a way that like I didn't I didn't know I needed that episode until I saw it the Thanksgiving episode yeah the Thanksgiving episode yeah it was really well done Mm -hmm. and just um right Lena Waithe wrote that episode the the actor who plays Denise Mm -hmm. is Dev's lesbian friend um and I felt like it just made sense that there was this, um, it was an evolution over time, mm-hmm. right? Like it took her family Like some 15 time. Thanksgivings. Yeah. <laughs> Not like one or two. That shit took, like they were seven and then they were like 30. Like that shit took yep. a long time. It, it took some time, but it also wasn't one of those, it, like she never let go of her family and they never quite let go of her either. Mm-hmm. It was just sort of, here's the thing about Denise we don't quite get. But she's still coming to dinner and she's still bringing her little Indian friend who we thought was black when they were little. (laughs) (laughs) And and what was remarkable to me is because I think this is some this is some of the ways that change happens. And like when I talk about healing work and justice work, like change happens in our relationships and wanting to be in right relationship with people. Mm -hmm. And right. Like when Denise was bringing home a woman, her family thought wasn't good enough for her. Mm then they could really be like, well, what about that that one who was good, mm-hmm. you know, and who was ambitious and who loved you? And, you know, like they could could say, well, I don't know. I don't completely understand this, but I want what's good for you. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the point of acceptance. Mm-hmm. That felt beautiful. I love the te- I love the girl who was like always texting. Because <laughs> <laughs> she, she had no sense of like, social cues like she wasn't getting that like this is a time where we're like talking and she was just like oh my god you know and that was that was really funny to me but i loved that moment when she was in the kitchen with her mom and Mm. i think for me growing up there's so many memories attached to being in the kitchen Mm -hmm. um because i used my mom used to make me sit down and watch her cook and she would make me help and cut up the stuff and we would and that's where we would talk and I think in part, one of the reasons why Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday is because my mom and I would be up together in the kitchen for like 10 hours. We'd have gospel music on and we'd be talking about hair or whatever. <laughs> I mean, but really, y'all, my mom and I were talking about like the ways that she could wear her hair on Sunday, but also like these recipes and whatever. And so there was something reminiscent about that for me when I was watching that episode, when her mom finally looked at her and was just like, I'm, you know, I, th- I don't remember the exact words, but like, I'm happy for you. Or I'm proud of you, you know, and I want you to be happy. I want you to be well, basically. And, like, seeing her face of, like, you see me now. Mm-hmm. You know, you see me. You're not looking through me, but you actually see me as a person. And so that episode was so beautifully done. So beautifully done. And I loved, again, like you said, the idea that the, the change in the family did not happen over the course of one or two years or one or two discussions. The change was happening as life was happening. And so as life presented itself the family was able to grow and evolve. But the question I have, of course, then is, like, that's really idealistic, right? Like, that's real cute. Like, you keep going back. But, like, in what, like at what point do you not engage with that family because it's, it's harmful or it's detrimental to your identity or to your sense of self, you know? And that's something that it didn't necessarily cover. Um, and I know, I know we can't expect it to do everything, but that was something I thought about. Like, what if this just hurt, you know? Right. And I, I mean like all of our stories are, are different. And I think like for some people there is the, there is the ability to hang in there because they're, they're being loved in other ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, for me, I mean, I, I can't speak for other people, but I think that's the difference is like enough of me being held in love for me to keep working this out mm-hmm. or am I being treated so abusively and so violently that I just, I can't do this have my person be attacked in this way. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the truth is there's enough. There's, there's enough 
good and love that's happening that people can keep wrestling with each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another show that I think did a really good job this year of 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 um, showing a, a queer character and queer identity is the show This Is Us. Mm-hmm. Um, I still have so many episodes yet to watch of that show, but what I loved is the um, the dad William, who is played by Ron C. Jones. William, um, for those of those, for those who don't watch the show, William is the dad of one of the main characters, Randall. And when they had Randall, he wasn't equipped to raise him, and so they left him at a fire station. Um, this is back in the seventies, and thirty five years later, not only did he find out that William, his dad, had cancer. Uh, but he only had a few months to live. And so they had this like limited amount of time to kind of learn about each other. And um, and I'm saying this for folks who, who don't watch the show. Um, oh. But on one of the episodes, he learned that his dad had a boyfriend and partner that he had recently left. And I think what I loved most about that was that the show introduced William just as a human being and not as like a gay character. And mm-hmm. I like that they like constructed him as this whole character. They gave him a whole arc of like all these things that have happened to him and this is the life that's happened around him. Oh, and he also has this partner that he left. And so I think it was just really amazing to see a black man represented very against the stereotype of what we see in mainstream media, especially white media, around mm-hmm. what being black and gay means. And so he was this like full person who loved art and who loved family and who had this rich story. And he was really also really good looking, right? Um I just love that they turned around what a gay character looks and sounds like. And I think, you know, so many times characters are walking stereotypes. Someone that's flamboyant, they're the girl's best friend. And that's not exact. that's not who William was at all. And I'm thankful for that. Yeah. I also appreciated that Randall wrestled with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that the way the wrestling was presented was that he was being unreasonable. Mm-hmm. You know, his wife was just like, babe, why, why is this hard for you? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know him. <laughs> and, that, and that surprised me. And, you know, he was just trying to work out for himself why he was having stru- such a strong reaction to his father having a boyfriend. And, and, like, it, and it was presented in a way where he, he realized that he wasn't being quite rational. And so he was just digging into, um, like, oh, like, what is my homophobia about? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was just presented like he was having the problem and not that William was a problem. That mm. it was all the onus was on him and it had nothing to do with his dad's shit. Yeah. Shit. Like his dad's who he was, you know? Yep. Yep, yep. Absolutely. I thought that was really well done too. Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, what I also like this year, this movie, I mean, there's nothing queer about this movie from what I know, or from the like eight times that I saw it, but get out. Mm-hmm. That movie Which was is, so powerful. Now Wait, what's that? It's on HBO now. It's on my HBO app. Girl. You can watch it some more. I've seen that movie at least eight times, so <laughs> um, I'm good. Um, I don't know why. I'm trying to figure out why I saw it um, so many times, honestly. Because oh, it's good? Because it's good. Well, here's... Uh, so here's the thing. <laughs> Tell us the thing. Uh, I think that movie for me was so... There were so many moments when I watched that movie that were so real for me. Um, I a lot of my a lot of my life experience uh, parallels with that movie, and there were so many parts in that movie that I remember watching and I started crying because it was so much of what I experienced. Um, you know, I went. I grew up in North. I grew up in Minnesota. Went to college in North Dakota. Dated interracially. Uh, was in a long-term committed relationship interracially and just the you know the feeling of going driving to the middle of nowhere to meet the family and you know all the all the micro and microaggressions that they you know mostly they weren't aware of right because racialism is socialized and 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 stuff like that and so it was interesting watching that movie and being aware as a black person like that's what this means but then also seeing the person that he loved this white person um not understand and not get it or get it and get it, but didn't care enough about him to make the changes necessary so the environment was less hostile. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I do. And like, not even get it or not get it, she actively gaslit him so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every time he was just like, oh, this feels off, or I don't like that, and babe, I think it's because I'm black, and she would just make fun of him or make a joke of it and make it seem like he was having 
just like that he was overreacting to everything, <clears throat> excuse me, that was happening around him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, right, whether we date interracially or not, um, like black folks know what that's like to mm-hmm. tell someone you love who is a white person, hey, this is what's happening for me. And I'm trying to find all of the reasons that that's not what's happening for you. Right. And to do all these contortionist moves, right? The contortionist Olympics to tell you why those feelings that you have are invalid. Um, It was also interesting. um, There was a few things that stick out for me. But one of the things that was interesting for me in that movie was, you know, there was one scene where he was like, you know, he brought her out to the woods and was just like, I love you. And I'm going to get you away from these people. And Mm -hmm. it was funny because in that moment, he was clearly, again, the rescuer. And he saw the evil that that family was. And he took it upon himself to try to get her out. And what was interesting is that he was professing his love for her and trying to keep her safe and protect her, even though he was one that was in danger. And never at any point in that movie did she look at him and say, like, I love you and I want to protect you and we have to get out of here. And so it was just interesting to see the ways in which Black people are continually doing the emotional and intellectual labor, um, spiritual labor even, physical labor, um, in terms of in interracial situations wanting to be loved mm-hmm. and all the work that we do um, mm-hmm. to really deny the parts of our own blackness and to fold into whiteness to be loved and accepted and tolerated, you know? Right. Well, I mean, yeah, I hear that. And I'm like, not even folding, not, not even folding away and putting, putting our blackness in the closet necessarily and that's just making me think of the scene when he opened the closet and found all those pictures of black people that she had you know that rose had manipulated in the same way um but just a general like the ways that we can make ourselves small Mm -hmm. um when there's a big threat when there's a big threat and whiteness is often the threat and we start to make ourselves small and um and, and and make it easy for us to doubt our own instincts and and yeah, I'm I'm also thinking about this in a different way, the way you talk about his own protective instinct mm-hmm. over her when nobody was having that over him. Nobody. Um, and I think the part for me in the movie that was the most moving, and I've talked about this before, is the scene at the end where he had grown tired of trying to protect himself and kind of had realized that these people, what, what the family's game was about. And he was like, we have to get out of here. Like, we got to go. And he was frantic. It was like after... And the funny thing about that movie is this was only in the course of a day and a half. <laughs> right? That was a day and a half of racism. And um, that was a day and a half of racism. And, you know, after that, he was like, we have to get out. And it was funny because he was like, we got to go. And so she, like, played the game with him. Like, oh, my gosh, honey, we have to go. Like, you know, oh, we got to get out of here. And then when he, Chris looked at her and was like, you know, running down the stairs and saw all of the things that were happening and saw the family kind of equipped to stand in the way of them getting out, he looked at her and was like, we got to go, give me the keys. Mm-hmm. And when he looked at her and said to give me the keys, and that whole scene to me was so interesting because obviously you know and I know that the keys didn't mean just the actual keys to get out of the house and get to the car and leave. The keys were about like Rose's access, her privilege, and her use of her white privilege and the white the white supremacy of her family to advance and benefit in life. And like it was funny because she was cute with like, oh, I feel bad, my grandma didn't mean it, or but or you know whatever whatever. But when it came time for for her to look at him and say, I'm going to give you this power so that we can get out of here together safely, she was unable to do that. And actually folded back into her whiteness and kind of went to more so like uphold her white supremacy as a, you know, as opposed to dismantling it. She was like working to protect it. And that scene for me was probably the most profound scene in the movie. I mean, she was actually working to advance it, right? Like all the all the small moments where it seemed like she had his back were actually manipulations to try and get him more into their white supremacist, you know, weird cult surgery. Um, But, you know, even the moments that felt like she had his back in hindsight were just more manipulations to, um, to, to overpower him. Mm -hmm. It's just, and I thought that scene was interesting because there's all this debate about whether she was in on it. And, you know, that like there's people I know, like by that point, knew that she was in on it, that she she actively brought him to this place. She brought him to to danger. She wanted. Right. Um, 
she knew she knew what her family's plans were and she was actively a part of it. And there's people who think that she wasn't in on it and she was learning it with him. And I I feel like there's this moment where I think he doesn't trust her anymore, but like she's still his best shot. Mm. Best shot for what? <laughs> Getting out. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Like if if he could somehow get her to walk out of the door with her, like I don't think he trusted her anymore. Mm-hmm. At least that's my interpretation. He no longer trusted her, but she was still his best bet um of getting to safety. Mm-hmm. Well, like, right, because she was the only one that knew him, you know, out of all those people. I just I think what's interesting about that movie is that of course it it start, it, it we as black people know what those things feel like. Um, and watching the interviews about it with the main star, um, the, the the woman who was the lead as Rose, she said that she could tell what the audience was based on race, based off the reactions to certain parts in the movie. And she was mm-hmm. saying that it was so interesting for her that white people still to this day come up to her and think that she was the victim in the movie. When she goes, it has nothing to do with me being the victim as much as it was that I, um, that Chris is the victim in this movie. And like, that's racism. And she was saying how like white people still to this day will defend her role and her family in ways that they never even think to defend Chris. And I think that really goes to the narrative of like where we are as a country and how people choose to think about and view and construct race conversations. I'm just sitting there like the victim of what? She's clearly the manipulator. She is, she's the linchpin to the whole plan. What could she possibly be the victim of? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but that was a great movie and so many good, discussions and dialogues came from it especially all the secret meetings and and just so much so shout out to that movie i hope it does wonderful at award season of course we could have the conversation about like you know like uh you know white people white institutions recognizing it as amazing art but we don't have time for that today so shout out to jordan peele though that was some masterful work yeah um what also i really appreciated this year um as a person and as an album, as a body of work, was Jay-Z's uh, 444. Um, I I said this when we talked about this episode two, maybe episode three, like I haven't listened to Jay-Z like a whole album through. He's just not somebody that I've appreciated listening to in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but this last album, I've listened to it from top to bottom and repeat, and I love that album. And one of the things I love most about that album are two things. Number one is the song Family Feud, in part because it's partially gospel and I love the Clark sisters and... I love mm-hmm. Beyonce, as you all know. And it's just such a beautiful song. But I really enjoy the song called Smile with his mom, Gloria Carter, in which she comes out um, to the public. Yeah, it, with with not a lot of fanfare, right? Just a few lyrics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Couple bars. Mm-hmm. like Talk about okay. living in the shadows, you know? Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, I think I was just interested in it just gave me lots of questions about their relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, like, did they have a Thanksgiving episode kind of relationship where it was a slow unfolding, um, where Jay-Z had to get comfortable with it? Or was he just like, Psh, bet, you're my mom, who cares? I just had a lot of questions about what the process was um, in their relationship, but really just the end product is, he's like, this is my mother and this is who raised me and I love her. And I'm really, really happy that she's now loving fully and freely right like that she's liberated in love and doesn't feel like she's hiding anything anymore Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and as we talked about in that episode like to have somebody like jay-z who has kind of had a career really with lots of misogynist lyrics and lots of you know homophobic lyrics and things like that and just to have to see this evolution of a human being um is amazing and to see that yeah just to see that is amazing so I mean, you know, I also have my feelings about <laughs> about 444 and how how easy it is to praise a middle-aged man for finally having some maturity in his life, in his relationships with women. But I mean, and we talked about that, right? Yeah, we did. I, I'm just like, oh, I still have feelings about it. But in this one, with it, that's why I'm curious about what the process was like in his relationship with his mom. But um, But he got there. And I think for me, it's important to allow people to have a trajectory and not freeze them in time. Right. Well, also, I think in terms of like wokeness that, and I use air quotes, but in terms of self-awareness and wokeness, like I have always not been the person that I am today in terms of, and you know, you know this because <laughs> we've been friends forever, but like 
I, in terms of just where I think about race and when I think, think about faith in the divine and where I'm at, when I think about sexuality and gender orientation, like I've not always been where I'm at today. And so it took time and unfolding and unlearning and undoing and whew, a lot. So in some ways it's like, yo, Jay-Z, you're a middle-aged man. Like it took you forever. But I also am like, but I always haven't been here either. So, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so also, um, Moonlight won an Academy Award. Yes. Yes. Eventually. You know, after they got done. <laughs> after that complete snafu of a of an announcement. Moonlight won an Academy Award. What do you did you see Moonlight? I saw Moonlight like three times. Okay. I I really really loved it. First of all, I will see anything with Mahershala Ali in it. I mean, and he's beautiful. Listen, like. A, a, a commercial for cabbage. I will watch if a Mahershala Ali is in it. Um, he's beautiful. He's captivating. He's a compelling person. But um, also, um, I felt like he was in the movie for not long enough. But I loved him as a, as as the first person in Shadowrun's life who just really cared about him mm-hmm. and loved him and protected him. But also as like a cis hetero dude who was just like, listen, um, you might be who you are and you might figure out that you're gay or not. Like that might be a question for you, but what you don't have to do is let anybody abuse you and call you out your name. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought that it was really powerful to have, um, you know, that's not really inside of the stereotypical depictions of a black dude who's a drug dealer, you know, who's kind of a, might be kind of a gangster that that he's also saying, whatever you are, whoever you love, nobody gets to abuse you, and I want you to know that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that you're gonna be who you're gonna be. You're gonna be who you're gonna be. And I love one of my favorite scenes in that movie was the water scene where he was teaching him mm-hmm. to swim, and he said, "Lay back, I got you." Mm-hmm. And I think for me, that scene was the the voice, the masculine voice that I. I think I craved as a kid mm-hmm. and in doing the work they're doing around masculinity and shooting this documentary project, as I listen to, to men talk about their stories and I talk a lot about fathers because we craft these ideas about masculinity based off of what men were in our life. That is also a voice that I think a lot of men wish they had for someone, especially who's, you know, at maybe at six, you don't realize that you're queer, but for someone who knows they're different and they don't know what the difference is to be able to have someone in your space and say, lay back, I have you, I got you. It's really powerful. Yeah. Um, Moonlight got eight nominations for the Oscars, second highest of all the nominees, um, and walked away with three awards, Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Adapted Screenplay. And so um, it received a million awards and critical acclaim, like a million. Why do you think it is? Why do you think that people received Moonlight the way they did, both black and or white audiences? I mean, I think... When I think about just the character of, of Sharon, just through through the three stages of, of his life that we're able to see him in, um, I mean he's just this he's just such a tender person. He's I mean, I, I, I just feel really drawn into him. He's tender. I wanna protect him. I want him to be safe. I want him to be able to go to school without being picked on all the time. I want him to you know, kiss that man in the restaurant at the end. Oh, gosh, <laughs> like, yes. Just like, just at its core, it's a lovely set of vignettes about a person's coming of age. Um, the the ways that his relationship with Kevin happens in the three stages of his life, it's just, you know, a, a, a lovely way of seeing men love each other mm-hmm. that um that wasn't particularly sexual. It was beautiful. It was intimate. It was romantic. You know, like they didn't, even in the end, they didn't go back to his house and smash. He was just like, I haven't had somebody hold me in a really long time. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, and they sat on the bed and held each other. And I just think just the beauty of the love between Chiron and the people that he chose Mm -hmm. and the people who chose him to love him was just, it just was gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that scene at the end where he says, "No one has touched me," 
since you. Mm-hmm. And people, you know, there were people who said, well, you know, he fucks and spam. And I was like, I don't think that's what he meant at all. I think that, that no one has connected to him in that way ever. You know? Yeah. Since since Kevin. And I think that that's I think that's amazing. That he found someone that he could be in sync with and knew him and was able to be intimate with him without him feeling restricted. Right. And they had that since they were little boys. And they had that when they were teenagers. And man, that was the hardest scene for me when he felt betrayed by Kevin. Yep. Um, when he got betrayed by him and, and got in that fight at school, there was, oh my gosh, it's ripping my stomach apart a little bit now to think about it. But um, I think it was just a really well told story. And there's not a lot of stories with young black men at the center that aren't about like gang banging in the hood <laughs> <laughs> even though i will say that i saw that movie in was it san fran or portland i don't remember which one of the cities a really white city i was in and this lady asked me what trapping was and i thought okay you didn't want to google it i looked up urban dictionary before you had this conversation with me like, you have a whole smartphone in your hands right now ma'am what's what's trapping right there just look it up girl you have a computer in your pocket you can literally ask google and it will tell you um so that happened. Another thing that I read um, this year um, that I thought was just really beautiful um, is this book by Jasmine Ward. Um, and it's called Sing Unburied Sing. Mm-hmm. And I love the book because there's a lot of things that happen in the book. But one of the things that I love most is that one of the main characters, uh, Moho, begins to work, or Moho, Lord, Mojo, uh, begins to work through understanding what it means to be a man. And I've read a lot of books this year, or this past year, really focusing on masculinity, but I love this one just because of the way that the story was told and the fact that this woman writer also really got some interesting nuances about what it means to work through masculinity, and she's a woman. And so, I don't know, I thought that was like kind of profound in the ways that this character started to try to figure out what it meant to exist as a man in this world that was really trying to impose these standards on him. So. Yeah, I haven't read that one at all, but I'm uh, I'm definitely moving towards Jasmine Ward because I've heard so much about the beauty of her prose. And, um, and I've read some passages from The Men We Reaped, and I just really think her thinking is really profound and complicated and layered. So, um, yeah, I... Sing Unburied Sing is going on my list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I also reread uh, Janet Mock's book. Well, first of all, she has a new book. Um, and it's it's good. It's really good. I need to read it again, I think. I don't know if I was in the right space to read it. Um, I think it's called Surpassing Certainty, I think it's called. She's in blue. She looks gorgeous, as usual. Um, but I reread Redefining Realness again. And... What I loved about that book, aside from just how brilliant she is and like how she tells her story, um, I was doing some research about it and she was saying, and this is something I really related to with her, where she was saying that as a writer and a journalist, she was always used to hearing other people's stories and having them talk about it and center their stories. And a lot of the reasons that she did that is because she wasn't comfortable with her own story. Mm-hmm. And so she started writing her book, Redefining Realness, as a, as a means to journal about what had happened to her. And then decided that that could be useful sociopolitical discourse. But one of the things that I loved in that book was there was this character that she mentioned. It was her best friend named Wendy. And Wendy essentially saw her as a trans woman before she saw herself as one. Mm. And she writes about how she came up to her. And I think maybe the word is mahu. I don't don't remember the, the word. But whatever the word is, is the word that they use in Hawaii that says that the person is in the middle of the gender binary. And she she called her that, and Janet got upset. She goes, no, I'm not. And she goes, yes, you are. I see it. And the story goes on to, to say that basically that Wendy saw her before she saw herself. And I think there's just something really delicate about the people in our lives, especially in terms of gender identity and sexual orientation, who see us before we see ourselves. And not just the people who are like, oh, I already knew that. Because <laughs> I think that that's just like useless words, Right. Mm-hmm. but who see us and try to work to help us discover that part that they see in us that we don't see in ourselves. Right. Or just like, I'm, I, sometimes I think about things in terms of midwifery and I don't know why, cause I've never been a doula, but 
like like help us birth an understanding of ourselves like you know put some language on it and also just um just create at least one environment where it's okay and you have permission and you don't have to fight really hard and say no 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 i'm not no i'm not because mm-hmm. um because someone else is like i see you and i'm here and i'm holding you like it's okay mm-hmm. i have a, a friend nicole nicole smith who um really years after i understood myself is not heterosexual mm-hmm. um i feel like calling myself anything else like lesbian or bisexual or queer was really scary but i'm clearly not straight this mm-hmm. is what Mm-hmm. just one day really casually called me queer and I remember turning to look at her like mm-hmm. who are you talking to and who are mm-hmm. you talking about and it was just like this one moment and I looked at her and I paused and she did not flinch and it just felt right I was like oh that's the right word mm-hmm. that's thank you for that thank, I don't know if I would have gotten there so easily without that just really quick moment mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. saw it named it even though I'd never spoken that to her mm-hmm. I don't know, there's something about that. I think for me, <clears throat> that friend in my life, um, his name's Dacry, Dacry Brown. And just, I I think, <clears throat> I always tell him that if I, you know, when I finish my dissertation or when I, when my documentary finally screens and I'm thanking people, I will always hold this very special place in my heart uh, for my friendship with him because he, um, the way that, I remember the way that he asked me it scared me. And I was like, oh, um, because I remember growing up and just even through college when I was trying to work through my stuff, I never, like, I never would call myself that. It was like, oh, you know, I, you know, uh, it was very unclear about it. You know, I, I knew, but I like didn't want to say it. I didn't want to put like, like you said, you don't, you don't want to be called lesbian or whatever. I don't want to be called bisexual, you know? And I was very clear that I wasn't gay. I was <clears> very clear that I wasn't straight. Um, and so he just flat out asked me and I was like, excuse me? <laughs> And I was like, oh, I, I mean, I've, I've like messed around, like, you know, X, Y, and Z. I did this, that, and the other. But I, And he, he asked me again, and I was like, um. And I remember that feeling of just, like, kind of leaning into, like, but this is who you are, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know? And so, like I said, whenever I have that moment one time I thank people, he is somebody who I just, I thank, because I think that without him, not, he didn't just ask the question, but over the course of years, he's always checking in on me, and always just... Send, he would just send me books and send me things to read and listen to to help me not just be okay with who I was, but also to be like, and I'm amazing. Yeah. I don't need deliverance. I don't need this prayed away. I don't, I'm, I'm whole and beautiful just as I am right here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, there are two things that I want to, um, there are two speeches that I thought were really cool this year, both by queer people. Uh, one by Billy Porter. Uh, he received the GLAAD Media Award, and he, he uh, had a speech, and he says, I was signed to a major label, and I had been schooled by executives to keep my mouth shut except for singing, so that my true nature may not be detected in the urban music business, which at the time was riddled with institutional, aggressive, poisonous, and inhumane homophobic and homophobia. I, he's 47 when he gave the speech. He mm-hmm. said, you are all enough. We are all enough. Fuck them. Because now is the time to speak up because the attack from this administration, referring to 45's administration on the arts and the LGBTQ and other marginalized people is real and is meant once again to silence us. He said, since the beginning of time, artists are the folks who engage critical thinking and encourage those who think they are powerless to question the status quo, speak truth to power, change hearts and minds. The days of shut up and sing are over. We must stay vigilantly visible. We must stay engaged. We must tell our stories and GLAD encourages us to do that. at 47 this man recounts how he was silenced by the industry and saying just shut up and sing shut up and sing we don't need you so don't bring the fullness of who you are into this art because that would pollute the art right you know we're just trying to consume the parts of you that we want Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm mm-hmm I didn't see that one. I'm going to have to go look it up. This speech is amazing. I obviously didn't do it any justice, but it was amazing. Yeah. Um, 
And then Lena Waith, who I kind of want to close on this part because this is something I just want to encourage our listeners with, especially as we think about the year and just like what's coming. And like as the other, as Billy Porter said, like with this administration, and we talk about this on the show, like, girl, I, I'm at a stage of not even being shocked anymore. I'm, mm-hmm. not even, I'm just like numb. I'm just like, oh, that happened. Like, I'm not shocked. Like, oh, Donald Trump was playing golf on Martin Luther King Day and not doing any observances. Okay, that's not shocking. Donald Trump says that people from black and brown countries are from shithole countries, but we need more people from Nordic countries. That's not shocking, right? Like, I'm just not shocked anymore. And so Lena Waithe said uh, in her um, winning um, the award for the Thanksgiving episode, um, she went on to say, I love you all. And last but certainly not least, my LGBTQIA family. I see each and every one of you. The things that make us different, those are our superpowers. Every day when you walk out of the door and put on that imaginary cape and go out there and conquer the world because the world is not as beautiful as it would be. The world would not be as beautiful as it is if you weren't in it. Yeah, that's powerful. You go outside every day and put on that imaginary cape and conquer the world because the world would not be as beautiful as it is if we weren't in it. She ain't never lie. Girl. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's true. It's true, like all of us and our differences. But for me, particularly queer Black people, if not for queer Black people, like the U.S. would barely have a culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Just, you know, so just the factual nature of what she said, but also it just feels really strong mm-hmm. and empowering. Agreed. Brings to mind, like a, like, a friend and scholar that I know, Alexis Pauline Gums, you know, she just often comes into rooms with a lot of love, just so, so much love. And she says, yeah, I love you. I love all y'all. I love everyone who has been a part of your life in such a way that is letting you show up in this room right now the way that you are. And it just... I mean, it's really loving <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and it feels good, but it's always just a reminder, a reminder that the work that we're a part of, that the communities that we're a part of, that the art that we're a part of can only exist the way that it does because we exist the way that we do. Amen. For more of Erna's work, you can find her at www.dailycoats.com and searching for Erna Landrum. For more of Nick's work, you can read his blog at www.nicholasgaines.com. If you want to contact us and let us know what you think, have suggestions on what we should be talking about, have tea to spill, or for booking inquiries, please email our producer at adaniels at reverie.tv.